Hello and welcome. My name is Amelia, other known as DJ EJ, and this is Club Crime, a true crime broadcast recording live at KTCU. How are we all doing? I say this every week, but I'm so happy to be here today. This is such a great episode. That way I have planned for you all today. We have a returning guest. But before that, if you missed last week's episode, please go listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Club Crime Official. But I feel like this guest we need to introduce right now because he is my personal favorite guest of all time, although shh, my parents would like to say otherwise, but I would like to welcome back my very special guest, Jackson. Jackson. Hi. <laughs> How I'm, are you, love? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing great. Life's been fun, crazy, all the good stuff. Would you like to give the listeners a little bit of a reintroduction to who you are? Yes. My name is Jackson Phillips. I'm from Greenville, North Carolina. I'm a junior acting major here at TCU. Uh, my hobbies include uh, walking, mm-hmm. dancing, mm-hmm. and buying more awalas. Okay, how did the awala obsession start? So, Because even I'm confused on this, and we're best friends. <laughs> so basically, um, my friend Heather has had an awala since, I'd say, 10th grade. Okay. Um, and then this summer she was talking about it because she just got a new one. And then she was like, just like, you need to try it. Like, I know you hate, because I hate water bottles. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you need to try it. Like, it's like the best thing. It has a straw. I was like, okay, fine. I'll buy one. And then I bought one. And, and you're obsessed. I cannot get enough. It's literally like the perfect water bottle. Really? Yeah. You can swig from it like a regular bottle. Okay. You can sip from it like a straw. All okay. in one. It's all closed off, so none of the germy germs from the outside get on it, like other straw okay. water bottles. And it keeps the drinks ice cold. Are they expensive? Uh, I think it's like 27 for a 24 ounce. Oh, that's not bad. No. That's a lot better than like a Stanley or like a, a Hydro. Stanley? No, they're like Stanley dupe is uh, 37 bucks, and it is leak-proof, unlike the Stanley, and keeps drinks longer than the Stanley. Keeps drinks cold longer than the Stanley, so... Yeah, just gonna say. I mean, Stanleys aesthetically, in my mind, are very adorable, but I cannot justify the price. See, and the fact that they don't keep your drinks cold. Owalas, a I kept my Owala in my car in the hundred degree Texas heat for like five hours. I get back ice cold. This is not a sponsorship, by the way. You're just hyping Owala. Up Owala. If you want to sponsor me, I wouldn't be mad if there was a package left on my doorstep. Um. <laughs> But yeah, and then also their colors are just like adorable. That's very true. I've seen the colors online. Mm-hmm. No, my water bottle um, was given t- my main water bottle. I have a I have a hydro flask, but that was bought in like middle school. That was bought in middle. Yeah, it was very my era. But I didn't even buy it to be a Visco girl. I bought it because when I was like a full time dancer, all the dancer girlies had a hydro, and I was like, I want to be like you all. So I have the hydro still. Like, I wasn't going to get rid of it. It's just, like, sitting in my cupboard right now. And then I have my other water bottle that was given to me by my, like, college advisor when, like, I got into TCU. And it has my name engraved onto it with, like, the TCU logo. So it's, like, oh, really so cute. cute. And it's, like, TCU branded. So I use it all the time. Mm. And it's, like, a knockoff, like, hydro dupe with, like, a straw. And it keeps my drinks cold. But I feel like it's time for an upgrade. So should I just get an Awala? Go for the Awala. Go to the Target one. They have this like cute orange color. Ooh. It's like like okay. orange and bright pink. Okay. It's like summery. Mm. Love. Yes. So since you've been on, have you had any, I don't want to say like true crime experience. Like I don't think you've gotten into any like crime, but like. Fun fact, I committed a bank heist last week. <coughs> really? What bank? Um, which one say the street specifically? Um, so it was, um, my parents' bank account. <laughs> I bought, I bought some stuff that I probably shouldn't have bought. I didn't need it. So <laughs> that was honestly kind of me this week. I was, I spent way too much money on just stuff I did not need this week. I just, but, my thing is I buy food. <gasps> 
That is my downfall is I love food and I will eat out to the death of me. Me too. And I need to stop. I need to stop. Like on Saturday, I ate out every single meal. Like my roommate will just be like, do you want to go to this place? And I'll be like, I have, I should not. Like I don't, I can't afford this, but will I go? Absolutely. I know. And I, I'm always like, oh, I'm not going to get anything. And then we get into the line and I'm like, okay, I'd like um, a devil bacon cheeseburger, mm-hmm. large fry, a Coke, mm-hmm. a milkshake. Mm-hmm. Love. Delicious. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to get into the episode? I'm so excited. Okay. So you already know your duties, but let me remind you. I'm going to tell you a true crime story. It is your job to react, ask questions, (gasps) add in your own personal anecdotes, and just add to the story in any way that you want. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. You have to tell the listeners that I have not told you what story I'm going to tell you today. She has not told me anything about the story other than the fact that it's juicy. Mm -hmm. It is a juicy story. Do you want to throw any wild guesses into the wind right now? Mm, see, I'm kind of picturing like a married couple and there's an affair and like the wife gets angry. You're like on the right track. But also, would you like a hint? Yeah. What day is it today? It's Monday. What's the date? <laughs> oh, nine, does it happen on 9-11? Mm-hmm. Oh, work. Today's story that I'm going to tell you is the disappearance of Michelle Ann Harris. Michelle Ann Harris or Michelle Ann Harris? Ann, like A-N-N-E. Okay. Sources for tonight's story include the New York State government website, CBS News, NBC's Dateline, and we all know her, we all love her, Miss Wikipedia. Stan Wikipedia. So let's get into the background on the case. So Michelle Ann Taylor met Calvin Cal Harris in the early 1980s. Michelle grew up in Spencer within Tioga County in upstate New York to a middle-class family and had earned an an associate's degree from the State University of New York at Morrisville. Those who knew Michelle described her as beautiful, happy, and full of life. Cal Harris was 27 when he met Michelle. Cal was an all-star lacrosse player in high school and later went on to become a wealthy businessman. Cal and Michelle met while Michelle was working at a car dealership owned by Cal's family. I'm going to say this right now, and this might be a hot take, and I'm sorry to get off track like at the very beginning of the story, but lacrosse is kind of a weird sport in my mind. But I lacrosse just Lacrosse players are hot. It. I've said this before. <sighs> lacrosse players are so hot. That's so true. But I just, the sport is like... There's field hockey. Is it not the same thing as just like field hockey, but you throw it into nets? It's like field hockey, I guess. But and is there a goal? There's a goal in lacrosse. I'm, I don't know. I'm usually pay, paying attention to to the guys. To the guys. Okay. They take their mask, not like their helmet off, and they have like helmet hair, and it's like. Oh. Ah. Anyways. <laughs> Making me blush up in here. So Michelle and Cal seemingly had a fairy tale romance. Cal would take Michelle on vacations all over the world and could provide well for her. The couple married in 1990 and moved to a 252-acre estate of Spencer, where Michelle had grown up, so it was in her hometown. By the time she was 33, Michelle had four kids under the age of six. So Uh, she was just popping them out. She was popping. She had nothing but time. Nothing but time on her hands because she was just... Like, she had a job, but she was mainly just kind of this trophy housewife. Listen, first of all, A, Cal, Cal? Cal. That's a rich name. That is a rich name. Any man named Cal you know is rich. <laughs> and B, where can I find Cal? You want your own Cal? I need my own Cal. I'm well, going to be an actor. Let me get I to don't the, need that money. Let me get to this next part, because maybe you don't want a Cal. Okay. Unfortunately, Michelle and Cal's fairy tale romance began to fall apart in 1999. Michelle began telling her sister-in-law, Shannon Taylor, about Cal's, quote, controlling behavior. According to Shannon, everything about Michelle and her life with Cal had to be perfect. And if it wasn't, Cal would lose his temper. If Michelle wasn't thin enough, she would lose weight for him. Yet, it still wasn't enough. According to Barbara Thayer, the couple's nanny and housekeeper, quote, 
Cal had told her that she was born in Tioga Center, raised in Tioga Center, and she'd die in Tioga Center. Like, you're small town, you're beneath me, you're never going to be up to my level, end quote. In 1999, Michelle discovered that Cal had been having an affair with another woman working at his family's car lot. So, just like Michelle, it was just some blonde, perfect young woman that he met working for him. It's always the blondes. It's always the blondes. Michelle confronted Cal, and he promised to end the affair, though he did not and rekindled it on a vacation to the Barbados. He, he's a scumbag. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I don't want a Cal. I don't think you want a you want what Kale, Cal, Kale, you Kale. Want, you want what Cal was up until the affair, I guess. Yeah, well, and without no. the controlling part. Yeah, I don't do well with people telling me what to do. You want the money the and you want the hot man. That is all you want. <laughs> yeah, and then you know what? I'll get the money, mm-hmm. and then I'll leave and find a sweet man. Okay, and we'll live happily live ever after. And he'll give you your space. And he'll give me my space. <laughs> So Michelle attempted to save the marriage, but failed, and filed for divorce in January of 2001 after 10 years of marriage. Cal, however, did not want this divorce and repeatedly told Michelle he would not let her divorce him. I don't understand people. Like, you're cheating on her. Why, why stay married? Exactly. It's I don't like get that with if people. you are unhappy in the marriage to the point where you're cheating on someone, get a divorce. Get a divorce. What is the issue? I think I don't know if it's like a money thing. Like she would like take like most of his money. Or no, something. I think it was genuinely just a pride thing of like yeah. you will not divorce me. No shame in getting divorced. No. I don't get it. No, like that's why like most marriages end in divorce. Like it's not. I mean, of course, it's like kind of a sad thing, but it's like nothing to be ashamed about. Sometimes if you have to get a divorce, thing. yeah, sometimes it's a good. Th- sometimes it's amicable. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, oh, this marriage didn't work. Okay, also, goodbye. I hope th- did she know that she can just file for a divorce? She technically doesn't need his signature. There's ways around that. Yeah, that's true, but I don't think she like knew that. Mm. So, after an argument in March of 2001, Michelle told her sisters that Cal had told her he would not need a gun to kill her, and the police would never be able to find her body. In July, she let her hairdresser overhear a phone conversation where Cal threatened to kill her and make her disappear. Cal's biggest upset seemed to be that the courts granted Michelle access to his family's money. The courts had forced Cal and Michelle to remain living in the same house, although during this time, Cal had to pay Michelle's four, pay Michelle $400 a month, pay all expenses going towards the house, and give all of his guns to his brothers and fathers until, and father, not fathers, Ooh. Ooh. father, until the divorce was settled and Michelle could move out. Michelle supplemented what she earned from what she earned with Cal's money with a part-time waitressing job at Lefty's, a restaurant in the nearby village of Waverly, with her monthly payments from Cal. Just prior to her divorce, Michelle had met Brian Early, a surveyor from Philadelphia whom she had begun to have a discreet relationship with. In June, Early left his girlfriend and moved to Tioga to live near Michelle. So at least she's kind of, like, finding happiness now. Yeah. She got herself a new man. A new man. She got herself a new man, a new job. Waitressing at the Waverly substation. She's getting $400 a month. Honestly, 400 bucks a month. But for this time. I mean, I guess, but, like, the man is, like, flying her out to, like, Bermuda. That's very true. But I think that's what the settlement... She probably did ask for more. Her lawyers did, but that's probably yeah. got what ended up getting settled. I, I'd get a better lawyer. And mind you, they're still living in the same... That part was the craziest to me. Of like, oh, living in the same house? This man... Thre- yeah, the courts forced them to stay living in the same house. Which is insane to me. Of like, this man threatened to kill her, and she still has to like stay in the same house? I don't think... Was she legally obligated? Like, she couldn't like get an apartment or something? I guess I guess she didn't. Really no, have she the was money. like legally obligated to stay there. That's so weird. 
But I also think it might have been because of the kids, because they did have four kids. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a huge apartment. And also, I have a feeling the courts didn't want to leave the children with Cal, who threatened to kill the mother. Yeah, but like if if Cal kills the mother, then the kids are stuck with Cal. That is very true. No. No, oh. they'd probably go to someone else. They wouldn't stay with... Unless it got like... Unless he was able to like get around the murder, but... Okay, but let's keep going. So, Early planned to marry Michelle shortly following her divorce. Mm-hmm. Though Michelle told her friends that she was interested in a long that while she was interested in a long-term relationship, she did not plan to marry Early. It was also discovered that Michelle had had a relationship with three other men around this time. By August, Cal had offered Michelle $80,000 annually in alimony and child support, along with custody of the children. While her attorney, with her attorney, Michelle also filed for a court-ordered appraisal of his business to be charged to him at a cost of $30,000. The trial was set for October. In early September, those close to Michelle began to note how happy she was again. She confided in her friends that she was planning on meeting with her lawyer on September 12th to discuss accepting Cal's offer. But just hours before she was supposed to meet her lawyer, Michelle disappeared. On September 11th. On September 11th. 2001? 2001. Ooh. So, let's get into the disappearance. Barbara Thayer had arrived to babysit the children on September 11, 2001. Michelle was meant to leave for a trip to New York City, but travel was severely restricted due to the terrorist attacks, and Michelle was unable to go. Mm-hmm. So, for anyone who doesn't know what the terrorist attack were, um, on September 11th... Who doesn't? There could be some people out there who don't know. If you're like... A child listening to this, and I hope there's no children listening to this, but if you're a child listening to this, you might not know. If there are children listening to this, don't take any advice me or Amelia gives you on this. No. On this. Don't take. On air. First of all, you shouldn't even be listening to this. (laughs) Second of all, we are not the go-to people for advice. We are not. But the terrorist attacks, so on September 11th, 2001, um, some airplanes were hijacked by terrorists and flown into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and basically changed the world, essentially. I mean, the way we fly changed, security changed. I know, now I have to take off my shoes at the airport. (laughs) Is that... (laughs) So is that for all the people? It's not the biggest takeaway from the story, but... But no. you do have to take off your shoes. Unless you have exemptions. Old people don't. I didn't have to whenever I had my boot on. You didn't? Mm-mm. So Ooh. now I kind of debate wearing my boot to the airport. <laughs> Jackson. It's such an inconvenience. I mean, it is, but like, I just Especially wear like... Especially when I'm wearing... Because I go to the airport fitted up. I do too, but I wear like my UGG like slippers, like my Tasmans. Oh no, I'm wearing like my Nike blazers that like have no stretch to them. They're like high tops. I have to like unlace the whole entire thing to take them off. Oh, that is true though. I'm you, looking good in the there airport. There are some hot people. Listen. At the airport. I might meet my husband. He's sitting in first class. What am I going to do? I'm sitting in economy. I can't look like a bum. That's true. That I is I got to look like I'm in first class. But. <laughs> but no, my favorite is like. The TSA agent would be like, get out your laptops and iPads. But I will say, that is not the worst part about the terrorists. Oh, came no, from the I'm not attacks. saying that. There's <laughs> a whole entire list of more tragic things. And I will say, um, you know, I would like to give my condolences to yes. all the people that died in the terrorist attacks on September 11th. Um, but also, if you want like an uplifting story about the terrorist attacks, look up i don't remember his name but there was a blind man who with who had his like guide dog and he was able to like get down all of the flights of stairs he was blind with his dog and then i think he went back up to save people with his dog huh look it up it's like a it's a true story it's a really like inspiring cool story that's crazy but that's just to anyone who wants like an uplifting story about 9-11 go talk go go look that up on google no, I always hear like the sad stories. No, that like was the phone a good calls. Story. I don't like listening about heart. the phone calls. So, 
like I said, Michelle was supposed to go to NYC. She wasn't able to because of the terrorist attacks. And Michelle had also mentioned to Thayer, who was the babysitter, that she had a headache and she would be late to work as her uniform had not yet finished drying from the wash. Michelle clocked out at Lefty's at 9 p.m. and then shared drinks with her boss and co-worker in the parking lot for an hour. At 11, she went to her boyfriend's house to share a drink and discuss the terrorist attacks of that day. At 7 a.m. the next morning, Cal called Thayer asked telling her that Michelle had not come home and asked Thayer if she could help get the kids ready for school. Thayer got dressed quickly and canceled her plans for that day. When she arrived to Cal and Michelle's house, Michelle's gold Ford Windstar minivan was parked at the base of a long, winding driveway, which is their driveway. Thayer got out of the car to inspect the van, finding it unlocked with the keys in the ignition. Uh-huh. Thayer then inspected the woods around the house, calling out Michelle's name there and then inside the house, but only Cal responded. Thayer then told Cal about Michelle's car, and the two went to inspect it, Cal stating that they should move it. Thayer questioned whether Michelle might be in the area, but could have been injured or in trouble. Cal then told Thayer that Michelle had gone to NYC like she had planned, but when Thayer asked how she could have gotten there without her car, Cal suggested that she hitchhiked. Uh-huh. Which it's like, hmm. Cal's not good at lying, I'm hearing. Mm-mm. Oh, um, yeah, she, um, She, um, just, hitchhiked. like, hitchhiked, um, to New York City. It's, like, crazy. It's just, she's such a crazy woman, whatever. She's a wild gal. <laughs> <laughs> this is once again off track but like my dad you would like tell me stories of like he used to hitchhike like across america in the 70s and mind you this is the time that like you had a one out of three chance of like getting killed by a serial killer mm-hmm. during that time and i was like how how are you my father how are you how did you live to become my father i've only hitchhiked once you've hitchhiked parents cover your ears uh, there was one time where I was um, out at night and Jackson, uh, you know, I couldn't get home. Phone was dead or whatever. So I was like on the side of the road, like crying, freaking out. It's like 2 a.m. Jackson. And I was like freaking out. And this girl comes up to me and she's like, are you OK? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I can't get home. Oh. And she's like, we well, like you can like ride back with us. And so I guess it like a sorority girl. No, they didn't go to a TCU. But was it like a college girl that you could at least maybe trust? Mm, I'd say like she was like 23. Okay. Like freshly out of college, I feel like. Okay. But that's still not safe, but it that makes me feel a little bit better. Well, just wait. <laughs> oh no. And so I'm like, okay, I thought she was like driving or like had an Uber or something. Mm-hmm. No. I get into this car with uh I think two other girls. And a guy. And the guy drops the girls off at a hotel. (gasps) The guy's their age, too. It's not like like a weird old guy. But still. Still, like, some random guy in the car with you. Yeah. And then, um... And then he, like, takes me to get food. And then drives me home. And then, like... He asked me out on, like, a date. <gasps> Jackson! <laughs> Didn't even realize that, like, this man was into me. Anyways, and then um, we planned the date, and then he ghosted me. So, <gasps> no good things can go from hitchhiking. <laughs> well, um, once again, to the children listening, don't take advice from Jackson. Don't take advice I. from Jackson. The Jackson Phillips LLC is not responsible for any children <laughs> Um, that listen to this show. Don't hitchhike, period. Never. Take an Uber. Unless there is a cute guy driving you home. No, no. Jackson. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Cal and Barbara Thayer, they go to inspect the car, and Cal takes note of all the items in the car, magazines, clothes, food wrappers, etc., and stated that he needed to get the car cleaned before leaving for work. Thayer then drove the car to the house's garage and asked Michelle's friend and called Michelle's friends, asking if they knew of her whereabouts. One of Michelle's friends then called her divorce lo- divorce lawyer, who Michelle was supposed to meet with later that day. 
After trying to contact her, Michelle's divorce lawyer called the state police and reported her as missing. Once Michelle's family and friends heard that she was missing, they all feared the worst. Michelle's sister-in-law stated, after learning of the news, quote, I said to the secretary when I walked out of my office, I said, I'm going, I don't know when I'll be back, I'm pretty sure that my brother-in-law killed my sister-in-law, end quote. So, everyone's like, yeah, we think this guy did it. As if he hasn't, like, been really kind of suspicious of, like, I need to get the car cleaned, Oh no, I guess she hitchhiked. Uh-oh. What about uh him con- uh confessing that he would kill her mm-hmm. months prior? Months prior? What what happened to that uh part <laughs> of the story? Did that get left out? So Resources to investigate Michelle's disappearance were limited as many police departments had sent their officers, troopers, and investigators out to help in NYC following the terrorist attacks. Nevertheless, investigators Mike Myers, not that Mike Myers, but Mike Myers, Mm. and Mike Young. I don't think that's a coincidence. Just imagine it was like Mike Myers is like Austin Powers (laughs) to investigate. So Mike Myers and then Mike Young, and they arrived at Cal Harris's dealership to question him an hour after receiving the call about Michelle's disappearance. Young recalls Cal being very calm and willing to comply with the investigation, acting as though he had nothing to hide. Cal took the investigators to his house and gave them written permission to search the premises. The premises. He also told the investigators that they could take the minivan, though he would eventually want it back and that Michelle may have been doing cocaine with people in Waverly. So we just kind of like threw that out of left field of like, oh, she was doing cocaine. Like she was, she was crazy. He just said, oh, fun fact. Fun fact, guys. She does coke. Mike Myers said that Cal felt almost too cooperative as if he had been programmed, as if he had programmed the investigation to go the way it did. Of course, because you feel like he's going to get away with it. Yeah. I think he's up until now, he's just been very cocky about the whole thing of like, Whatever, she hitchhiked, I'm going to get the van cleaned, she does cocaine, she's crazy. Womp womp. Womp womp womp. (laughs) So, the initial suspects were all of the men Michelle had been with the night before she disappeared. Her boss, her coworker, and her boyfriend. Brian Early, the boyfriend, was the early prime suspect as he he was allegedly the last person to have seen Michelle alive. Though after police searched his properties and he passed a lie detector test, he was cleared, as were the other suspects. The only suspect investigators had left was Cal, who had a motive to kill Michelle due to their pending divorce and the likelihood of a large settlement going to Michelle. Though he acted innocent, police decided to put more effort into their investigation towards Cal. Forensic specialist Steve Anderson was sent to the Harris's property, stating that he could immediately see blood spatter upon entering the home. Blood was found on a kitchen doorway, doorway, a doorway entering the house, and the garage. Samplers were taken for DNA testing as the, Har- as the Harris house was now considered a crime scene. Cal was asked about the blood, and he explained that they were from Michelle- when Michelle had cut herself months earlier. Which is like splattered all across the entrance of the home. I'm I don't know about you, but when I cut myself, typically it's I'm not, not going and like Jackson Jackson Pollocking all over my house. Well, that and also if I cut myself, it's typically not like I cut an artery. Like it's not gushing. It's just like oh, like I have a paper cut of oh, I accidentally like nicked myself with a knife while like cutting vegetables. I'm not like spewing that. It's no. not going everywhere. No, get a paper towel. No, exactly. Mm. Put on also, wait, d- didn't they search the Harris's house? Yes, but the police, like, they brought in a forensic investigator who's, like, trained to look for the blood. These investigators weren't, like, specifically looking around to see, like, oh, is there blood? They were just kind of there to get, like, a basic idea of what was happening. I don't know how you miss blood, but... And mind you, these were, like, the only investigators left out of all the people sent to, like, NYC. That is, that is very true. And there I were, don't, don't want to say There were that, bigger problems going on. Not I to say this woman's say, life isn't a problem, but... I don't want to say that these investigators weren't trained, but I don't think, like, 
in these investigators' mind, even though like they stayed in this county, in Tioga County, I don't think this disappearance was their main priority. They were not the top-tier investigators. All the top-tier ones were over in New York City. Which is probably true. It's probably for the better, but... But yeah, it just... It, it was no one's real priority at the time. Also, Let's I have just a question. Mm-hmm. Whenever they find your blood at a crime scene, how do they match it up to you? Well, they DNA test it. But like, how do they get my DNA? Like, how do the police have... I don't think the police have my DNA. If I were to get murdered, like... Well, if if they don't have your DNA on file, they'll typically test it to like your relatives. Oh, okay. Like, they can test it to your mom and dad. Because they're always like, oh, we found a blood sample. Or your siblings. And it's yours. Yeah. And it's like, how do you have my blood? No, they'll test it. They Like, if they don't have your DNA on file, like, if you aren't a criminal or if you aren't, like, if you just don't have your DNA on file somewhere in, like, the big, like, medical police records, they're going to mm. test it against, like, DNA that's similar to yours. Mm. Okay. Because they can test if, like, it's a relative's blood. Yeah. But I guess that also doesn't make it, like, a positive match. No, and I guess if they find my dead body, they can, like... <laughs> then they, yeah. If, yeah, if they do find your body, then they can just test it to your body's DNA. Like, ha So, they find the blood, mm-hmm. and so police then search both Cal's work truck and Michelle's van again, but neither yielded anything useful. So, they only find the blood on these, like, entryways, basically. Whose van is this? It's hers. It's her van? She has two cars? It's her van. No. Oh. It's like, it's a minivan. Oh, okay. I thought it was just like a, like a weird white van. No, not like a white van. It's like a minivan. Okay. It's a mom van, basically, to tow around her four kids. Right. Because if you're, if you're a suburban white mom, what else do you drive your four kids around in at this time? Uh, my Land Rover. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Listen, so, so all true, the suburban moms have a Land Rover or a Range Rover. Which one is it? I don't know. But during this time... I'm not bougie enough. During this time, it was the minivan. I think the minivan was the bougie thing. The Honda time. Odyssey. No, she has a Ford Windstar in gold. Okay. She's fancy. She got the gold She got Ford the gold Windstar. Ford. So they search the truck, they search the van, and for six months, investigators used GPS tracking on Cal's work truck and night vision to track Cal's movements on his property to find a possible disposal site for Michelle's body. But again, police found no useful information, and the case runs cold. So for the next few years, Michelle's disappearance remains unsolved. With no body and no murder weapon, police found it difficult to make a case to arrest Cal on the charge of murder. Because everything's circumstantial. You can't arrest someone on circumstantial evidence. In 2005, though, police had a breakthrough. Police re-interviewed Michelle's hairdresser, who told them the story of overhearing Cal's phone call to Michelle where he threatened to kill her. And he had previously not told the police this story. Because this threat was closer to Michelle's disappearance, police finally felt they had enough evidence to arrest Cal. On September 30th, 2005, Cal Harris was arrested by New York State Troopers at his dealership in front of his employees. He was not only handcuffed, but his legs were also put in irons. His legs? Yeah. Do you know what irons are? Like little leg handcuffs? Yeah, they're basically like handcuffs. But it's like, to make it so you can't run. Okay. Did he try to run? Is that why he has them No, on? I think it was literally just to be like, haha, we finally got you. And we're going to go through this big like dog and pony show to like show that we got you. Oh, work. I, uh, they were just trying to embarrass him, I think. Period. Following his arrest, Cal did not go to court until May 21st, 2007. So it took two years. Until then, he was living in his house out on a $500,000 bail. So he paid that to get out and go. And this girl got $400 a month, Mm -hmm. but he can pay a $500,000 bail. Mm -hmm. District Attorney Jerry Keene, who was trying the case, described this as one of his most difficult cases yet, as there was no body or murder weapon to present as substantial evidence. So in cases... 
a murder weapon and a body are basically like if you have that you have an easier time of arresting and trying someone Mm -hmm. if you don't have that it's very difficult like almost no cases go to trial with murder as like the evidence if they don't have murder weapon or a body Mm. that's why like the Kristen smart case from my hometown the guy killed her in 1997 and wasn't arrested till 2020 because they've never found her body and they don't know how he killed her damn oh um it's actually a famous murder case from my hometown really I'll let you find it. You'll let me? Why can't you just tell us about it? Because I don't know enough about it. I just saw it on a Forensic Files episode that I wasn't really paying attention to. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it at the end of this. So, because of this, the blood found at the Harris house became the key evidence in Cal's trial. The pattern of the blood spatter was found to be in a square pattern, which is linked to assault. So if like your blood spat, I looked this up. It's like if blood is splattered because it's from like a murder weapon. So say mm-hmm. like you like bash someone's head and the blood splatters, it's typically going to go in a square pattern. It's not going to be a perfect square, but the pattern is going to be like a square shape, if okay. that makes sense. So and that's linked to assault. Dr. Henry Lee testified that the pattern was likely caused by blood dripping off of a murder weapon, and it was highly unlikely that Michelle had just, quote-unquote, accidentally cut herself, as, as Cal had said. So, yeah, you hit someone or you cut someone's neck, the blood's immediately going to splatter in one place, and then as it's dripping, as you're walking away with the murder weapon, it forms the square. Interesting. Which, isn't that interesting? Yeah. A square? It's like a square. I thought it'd be like a line or something. I thought it'd be a circle. A circle. Yeah, I guess. Imagine it's like an octagon. It's an oct. It's a heart. It's a heart. <laughs> it's it's a smiley face. If you see a smiley face and blood splatter, that's run. Run. <laughs> it's a rhombus. It's a. It's literally. What's the, like, name for, it's, like, for all four-sided, like, shapes? A quadrilateral. A quadrilateral. It's a quadrilateral. Dude. And the way that someone, like, went to school to study. To study that. To study what way blood splatters. (laughs) Like, what were those classes like? They just have, like, paintbrushes with, like, red paint on them. And they were just, like, I don't think it's that. I think they just have you look at pictures of, like, crime scenes. Yeah, um, that'd be, like, a very depressing major. Yeah, but I bet you make a lot of money. Oh, listen, I'm not saying anything about money. Have you seen my major? We're theater majors. Have you seen my perspective earnings? No, no. (laughs) I got 400 bucks for a theater job that I would drive, like, an hour to every day. Yeah, it didn't cover gas. It did not cover gas. I lost money going to the gig. So Cal's defense focused on the fact that Cal's cooperation with the investigators, alongside there being no murder weapon or body, made the likelihood of him being the killer low. Cal's attorney argued that too much focus had been set upon Cal as the likely suspect and not enough on the invest and not enough investigation was given to the other suspects. On June 6, 2007, Cal Harris's case went to jury. Leading up to this, Cal had chosen not to testify, so he never went to the stand. Mm. Over 2 days, it took the jury 4 hours to reach a verdict. Calvin Harris was convicted of second-degree murder of Michelle Harris. Cal was to be sentenced in August. And then there's a surprise in the case. Are you ready for this? Does she show back up? Is she not dead? Mm -mm. Does she join at that courtroom like, you thought you got me? I wish. That would be iconic, but no. (laughs) So just two days before Cal was sent to be sentenced... A new surprise witness came forward. 
Kevin Tubbs, a local farmer, had driven past the Harris's house at around 5.30 a.m. on his way to work. Are you laughing at Tubbs? I'm just, that is like, <laughs> he's a farmer. Kevin Tubbs, the farmer. I'm Kevin Tubbs. I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer. I was on my way to work at 5.30 a.m. I saw this girl. <laughs> well, that's what. So he was driving by, and Tubbs saw a man and a blonde woman who he believed to be Michelle arguing by a pickup truck. The woman appeared to be distraught and crying. The man, as described by Tubbs, was young, with dark hair, a dark complexion, and was wearing a white t-shirt. If this story were true, then the state's timeline of what had happened to Michelle would be wrong, and Cal would have had no time to hide Michelle's body. Tubbs then went on to admit that it was dark, and though he had his headlights on, on the, he had his headlights on the pair, he didn't get a good enough look to be 100% certain it was Michelle. Despite this, the judge believed Tubbs' story and threw out Cal's case. So, he saw this in 2001 mm-hmm. and didn't feel like talking about it f- until four years later? I think he never felt like talking about it because he didn't know that it was ever going to trial. But, like, that's not something that you wait for a trial. Exactly. It's like kind of like something that you so just this, say. <laughs> this did definitely get disputed of, like, like did you just kind of come forward because you, like, wanted attention? That's, like, definitely what the defense was thinking about at the time. I know, because I'd be, I'd be super confused because you waited four years to tell us that you saw this dead girl. Not even four years. On the side of the Almost road. eight years. Or, no, almost seven years. Like... I don't, that's something that you tell the police or something. So he just kind of kept it to himself. But so what the timeline of, of the killing was, is they believed that Michelle had come home after going to her boyfriend's house sometime in either like the very late evening or very early like morning. Mm-hmm. He killed her sometime during, like sometime just after she had gotten home and then hit her body. But because this man came forward and said, oh, I think I saw Michelle talking to some guy, then if Cal had killed her and then reported her as like disappeared at 7 a.m. and this guy saw them at 5.30 a.m., he would have never had time to hide the body because the body was never found on the property. It was obviously taken to some outside location. Mm-hmm. So this completely is like what the courts and investigators believe is now completely wrong. So they basically just don't have a case again anymore. Tubs. However, so the next two years, Cal is out on bail and he's living as a free man. But in 2009, Cal was once again retried for the murder of Michelle. So it took them two years to like rebuild their story and their case enough that they could retry Cal. Unlike his previous trial, Cal did take the stand and testify. Because he had already been convicted once, the purpose of Cal to take the stand was to help humanize him to the jury, while also convincing them that he was not the killer. Barbara Thayer was also once again brought to the stand, and Thayer once again is the nanny, Thayer disputed all of Cal's claims, such as he had been the one to call Michelle the morning she disappeared and that the garage sale to sell Michelle's belongings was her idea. When asked if Cal Harris was a liar, Thayer said, quote, yes, definitely, and he's a good one, end quote. After a three-week trial and 10-hour deliberation, Cal Harris was once again found guilty of murdering Michelle and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Wait, so he was convicted once? He was convicted once, but two days before his sentencing, which is where you get taken to the prison and the courts are like, this is how many years we're going to give you. That was when the guy came forward and was like, oh, hey, like I have this to say. Oh, hey, Tihi. Oh, hey, like, haha, just forgot to mention this. Fun (laughs) story. But yeah, so he came forward and then the sentencing didn't go through and he was able to just keep his bail and not have to go to prison. 
So technically he didn't get tried for the same case twice? No, it was the same case. It was so, just different evidence that, and different story. Isn't that illegal? I thought you couldn't get tried for the same thing twice. I think the charge changed. Oh, okay. Like, okay. Like you can, there's different degrees of manslaughter and homicide and murder. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about his appeals and his further retrials. So Cal's lawyers immediately prepared an, for an appeal after his conviction. In 2015, Cal was retried. New and old evidence was once again brought up, but because the jury could not come to a verdict, the trial was considered a mistrial, and a fourth trial was set for the next year. The fourth trial went mostly the same as the last trial, though one new witness included Gregory Farr, an inmate alongside Cal at Auburn Correctional Facility. According to Farr, he allegedly heard Cal threaten another prisoner telling the prisoner, quote, I'll make you disappear like I made my wife disappear, end quote. After months of calling witnesses and making rulings, presiding justice Richard Mott ruled Cal Harris as not guilty of murdering Michelle. So this man's given you all the answers. This man's given you all the red flags and no one's paying attention. But it's all circumstantial. And you can say You have that, him admitting that he wants to kill his wife. You have him admitting that Well he never he, made he never disappear. admitted it like to the police. I mean, and they can't prove necessarily that he did or did not say that. They don't have it, you know, on like they don't have a recording of him saying it. I don't know. So let's talk about the aftermath. So Three weeks following his acquittal, Cal was arrested on stalking charges after sitting outside of Terry Schultz's house, and Terry Schultz is a lead investigator on the case, and he made threats towards Schultz's son. In 2017, Cal fled the scene of a car accident after he hit a car while drunk and was charged with driving while intoxicated and leaving the scene of an accident, a hit and run. However... The other driver was found to be the one driving erratically, and Cal had only had a couple drinks that night. He's still driving drunk. He was still driving tipsy. (laughs) Cal had been trying to sell the house where he and Michelle and their children had lived, but he took it off the market in 2017. Because the property value decreased. Yep. Michelle's family remains convinced that Cal killed Michelle. Though, and get ready for this, Cal's Four, Michelle and Cal's four children believe that Cal is innocent, but they do hope to honor their mom's legacy. And there's an interview that you can watch with them online, and they like go through entirely of like why they think their dad is innocent. Hmm. And I will say this, their children are gorgeous. Beautiful. It's always the rich suburban families that have the beautiful children. So, to this day, Michelle's body has never been found, and there has never been any confirmation as to whether or not she is dead. And that is the story of the disappearance of Michelle Ann Harris. Well, how about we go ask Tubbs? He seems to have all the answers about where she's at. Let's go ask Tubbs. Let's go ask Tubbs. I'm sure he has something else to say. I mean, he kept all this bottled up for how long? Maybe he wants to pop out, you know, what, 10 years, 13 years later, and say, hey guys. Hey guys, how are you? So, um, actually, I, I know where she is. You do? Tell us. Tubbs does. Oh, are you talking as Tubbs right I'm now? I'm talking as Tubbs. I'm okay. playing character. Where is it? Where is the body? My house. Your house? Did you <laughs> did you kill her? No. <laughs> no, I just... I, 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 I just thought y'all to- should know. She's totally not, like, buried behind my barn underneath the, like, five piles of hay. But don't look there. Don't don't look. Don't look. I just wanted a wife. <laughs> oh. Oh. So there is a part in this case that, like, reminds me of a very recent case that basically just happened. So when it talks about... <laughs> Um, Cal going on the stand to humanize himself. Mm-hmm. 
have you read in the news recently about like the Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, Danny Masterson whole situation? Do you know about what this is all about? I've heard something about Mila Kunis because I... Would you like me to explain it to you? Yes. Okay. So do you know who Danny Masterson is? No. So he was on this very popular TV show, which it makes me so sad that this is all happening because it was one of my favorite TV shows for the longest time. But that 70s show, he was one of the stars of that 70s show. Oh, yeah. I never watched that show. That's okay. Honestly, <laughs> you you might honestly be relieved that you never did. But I loved that show when it used to be on Netflix. I binge watched it like three times all the way through. It was like kind of like the same length as like Friends. Like it was mm-hmm. long and I just loved it. But Danny Masterson, um, I think in 2020 or 2021 and trigger warning, for like this is going to talk about sexual assault he was convicted or he was arrested because two women basically came forward and said that he raped them so just the other day danny masterson gets sentenced to 30 years to life in prison for raping these two women was it like did they confirm that he raped them yes oh I don't he hasn't gone through his sentencing yet. He's just been charged with. So that's that's what sentencing is. Is you don't know like you can get basically like you're either going to get this much as your minimum or you're going to get this much as your maximum. And his minimum is 30 years and his maximum is life basically. So it's also weird that life sentence is only 60 years. Right? That's not life. That's not life. But anyway, So he's been charged and part of his trial, his family contacted his ex-co-stars Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, along with two other actors on the show to write letters, basically humanizing him for the courts. And let me pull up one of the letters because it's, 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 it's a lot, um, it, is this going to make me hate Mila Kunis? Yeah. It's, it, it's made me really... Mila Kunis was someone I definitely quite looked up to. and um, No, she's like great. She was wonderful. And now I don't have as much respect for her. So here's Mila Kunis' letter to the courts. To the Honorable Judge Olmedo. I am writing this character letter on behalf of my dear friend, Danny Masterson, with whom I have had the privilege of sharing a significant part of my life. My name is Mila Kunis. I am an actress, and I believe it is essential to share my remarkable influence, the remarkable influence Danny has had on my life and the lives of others. I first met Danny during our time working together on That 70s Show, and from the very beginning, I could sense his innate goodness and genuine nature. Throughout our time together, Danny has proven to be an amazing friend, confidant, and, above all, an outstanding older brother figure to me. His caring nature and ability to offer guidance has been instrumental in my growth both personally and professionally. One of the most remarkable aspects of Danny's character is his unwavering commitment to discouraging the use of drugs. His influence on me in this regard has been invaluable. In an industry where the pressures and temptations of substance use can be overwhelming, Danny played a pivotal role in guiding me away from such destructive paths. His dedication to avoiding all substances has inspired not only me, but also countless others in our circle. Danny's steadfastness in promoting a drug-free lifestyle has been a guiding light in my journey through the entertainment world and has helped me prioritize my well-being and focus on making responsible choices. His genuine concern for those around him and his commitment to leading by example make him an outstanding role model and friend. Danny's role as a husband and father to his daughter has been nothing short of extraordinary. Witnessing his interactions with his daughter has been heartwarming and enlightening. He prioritizes his family, education, and happiness above all else, demonstrating his unwavering commitment to being a loving and responsible parent. 
As a father, he leads by example, instilling in her values that reflect integrity, compassion, and respect for others. Moreover, Danny has consistently displayed a profound sense of responsibility and care for those around him. He demonstrates grace and empathy in every situation, be it within the entertainment industry or in our personal lives. His steady support and understanding presence make him a reliable source of guidance and comfort for all of us. Danny Masterson's warmth, humor, and positive outlook on life have been a driving force in shaping my character and the way I approach life's challenges. His unwavering commitment to be an exceptional older brother figure to me has had a transformative impact on my life, instilling in me a sense of, a sense of self-belief and encouraging me to aim for greatness, but all the while maintaining a sense of humility. Mila Kunis. I like how she tiptoed around the fact she that he got charged. Around. She tiptoed around. And Ashton Kutcher's letter basically says the same thing. And so... See, and following like, that, well, so I get that if like you did, because you did a show with that person for like what ten plus years, mm-hmm. and they were great friends afterwards. Yeah, so like I kind of get like that person being like a well, fan figure, that. but and also his family, like family like reached out, and it, it it wasn't meant to be like oh he's not guilty. It's just meant to make him look like a, a more human in the eyes of the court. In the eyes it just of the jury. seems like a PR stunt, right? It just seems like a huge PR stunt. So, which like no shame in the game, but like no shame, but it's also like so. Afterwards, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher start getting all of this backlash of like, you have said nothing in support of the victims. You are basically here supporting the rapist and not supporting the victims. So then, of course, both of them get together and they make this whole video being like, we support the victims. These are what like our. This is what, you know, our brands are meant for is to support these, you know, victims of sexual assault and rape. And, you know, we, of course, stand with them, blah, blah, blah. But, of course, they didn't make that video until after they started getting all this pressure Mm -hmm. from everyone. And so all the while, basically, everyone in that 70s show is getting basically canceled because their other co-star, Wilder Valderrama... Is was is being considered a groomer because he dated Demi Lovato when she was they they no she she's she again oh okay Demi Lovato is she again there's a whole article about it okay cool so Demi Lovato uh-huh. you know finally twenty nine funny just like you were at the time <laughs> she was seventeen when he was twenty nine. So he's being considered a groomer. And then their other co-star, Laura Prepon, is a Scientologist, which, you know, Mm -hmm. to each their own. If that's your religion, that's your religion. And then their two other co-stars made letters for Danny Masterson. And the only co-star that is, like, left that is an actually decent person is Topher Grace, who was the star of the show. And he, like, immediately after Danny got sentenced was, like... I stand with the victims. And for years, everyone was like, Topher Grace is such like a snob. He doesn't hang out with any of his old co-stars from that 70s show. And now we all know why. is because none of them are decent human beings. Mm, I wouldn't go to so far as like none of them are decent human beings. I Okay, I'll, I'll resend that. I mean, but it's... I get I, not associating. Mm-hmm. I just think he understood what their true characters were yeah. and didn't want to associate with that. I will yeah. I will say that. Definitely good judgment on his part. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's just all this whole situation. And that's what the Cal Harris thing kind of reminded me of, of like, we need to make this man look like he's an actual decent human being to like try to get him to like be found not well, of guilty. Of course, because his mouth kept running him in holes. That's very true. That is so true. I could have handled that situation better. Yeah. And my mouth loves to run. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's just like... My other conflict with the Cal Harris case is that the kids support him. Which, they were so young when it happened that, of course, you're going to, like... As See? a father, you're going to be like, I didn't do it. You need to believe me. I am your father. Blah, blah, blah. And they grew up, 
you know, with their dad basically telling them, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not guilty. Well, he's also probably able to shelter his children a lot better. That is true. Because you can pay someone to come to your house and teach your kids. Mm-hmm. You, they don't have to go to school and hear all the stuff from the other kids. Which is, but it's also interesting because after he got arrested, the kids went to live with Michelle's family. Mm. They weren't living with him even after he was out on bail. So it's like, it's just, it's, especially because they're grown up now. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think? Do you think Cal did it or do you think he didn't do it? You know, I think Cal did it, but if he didn't, he should work on being less suspicious. If he didn't do yeah. it, work on being less suspicious because you handled that horribly. Yeah, that's true. So we have a text from the one, the only, my mother, who is currently oh. listening. We all love her. So her question is, would you stand by me? <sighs> hmm. If That's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. And mom, I, I want you to know that I love you so much. But if you murdered dad... Or vice versa, dad murdered you. And I know for a fact that you or he did it. No, I wouldn't stand by you. Oh, no, I'm selling you down the river right away. Yeah, but if... Not not you, Amelia's mom, but my parents. Mom, <laughs> if I found out you killed dad or dad, I found out you killed mom. But if... It's over. It's a wrap. Like, let's say, like, in this situation, dad dies or you die and are murdered or you disappear and there is not enough evidence to truly connect either of you, then yes, as long as like the evidence truly doesn't like point to you being the cause of it, yes, I would stand by you. If you were getting like framed, I would stand by you. Oh no, if you're getting framed, I'd stand up for you. I'd stand up for you. So I will say yes under conditions. Do you know what my mom told me before this show? she said don't embarrass me <gasps> oh no because she she texted me this week and she was like i just finished your uh club crime podcast oh i was like six months after it after it got posted <laughs> you just finished it it's an hour-long episode <laughs> she just finished she just fin- let me Oh, I'm going to we pull. have an update in my mother's text. She said that Louie did it, and Louie's my dog. We could blame <laughs> Louie. Louie, honestly, I would believe is the cause. But, okay. I just, I, if, I think Cal did it. I do I think, think Cal did it, too. I think Cal too. did it. Oh, okay. If you threaten to kill your wife, and you're, like, actively making threats that people are hearing that you want to kill your wife, and you're suddenly like, oh, no, I didn't do it. I loved my wife, but she did cocaine. Like, <laughs> but she did cocaine. But she did cocaine. No, I, I think you did it. It's just, it. I know there's nothing that truly points to you that isn't circumstantial, but I still think you did it. Sorry, Cal. What did your mom say? She said, I am finishing listening to your podcast episode. Fascinated listening to the eye clicker portion of the episode. Basically, last episode, I admitted to not going to all my macroeconomics classes because <laughs> I could. I found a way to glitch out iClicker attendance. Um, and then she said, so proud to know you go to all your classes. Aww. And then I said, so why did it take you that long to listen to it? And she said, I don't know. Afraid of what was going to come out of your mouth. Aww. And listen. Such supportive parents. Would you say I embarrassed my mom on this episode? No. I will say this. Do you want me to call out my parents right now? I'll do it. What'd they say? I'll do it. Apparently, they didn't listen live last week. (laughs) They didn't listen to last week's episode until, like, yesterday. That's still better turnaround than my mom. That is true. That is a better turnaround. But they've never missed an episode. So, Joe and Catherine, I'm a little disappointed in you. You know what? If we we have until next week, we've got to have my mom on the show. She's going to be here for Parents Weekend. (gasps) We could get your mom on the show. Would she do it? I don't know. I'll text her. Okay. Well, to wrap everything up, do you have any final questions or comments, Mr. Jackson? Um, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Um, I'm gonna do a little outro. 
So again, my name is Jackson Phillips. If you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Instagram at <laughs> Danson underscore Jackson. Mm-hmm. That is Danson, no G, underscore Jackson. It's also like that on most social media apps. Um, also, if you have no plans, November 7th through the 10th and the 12th, come see the trials at TCU. Yes. I'm in that show. Yes. It'll be fierce. My character has asthma. I'm up in there puffing on my inhaler. Yes. Um, and Yeah. Well, thank you. I would say thank you for joining the club, but you've already joined the club. I'm already part of the club. So thank you for coming back to the club. And to all my listeners, please join us next week for another true crime story when we have another guest joining us. And this has been Club Crime.